Thanks for downloading the RCF podcast. You're about to hear a message from Bishop Darlingston Johnson of Bethel World Outreach Ministries from the first night of the Gathering 2015 conference. Amen. Father, we thank you for the presence and the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the teacher who is here tonight, faithful to his commission to reveal Jesus to us, to open our minds and to be for us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So because he is faithful, we believe tonight that all of us who are in this house will see Jesus in a new way and will be transformed by the revelation of Christ from one degree of glory to another. I thank you that we are weak, but in our weakness you have become our strength. And so we're confident, not in our ability, for we have none of ourselves, but we're confident in your ability to work through earthen vessels, weak vessels, so that you might receive all the glory. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Praise God. Amen. As, as we just indicated last week, Pastor Chris and I were in India and uh, in Singapore and in India, we ministered to about 250 pastors and elders and just, just, just hour after hour after hour teaching and, and God showed up. And the testimony is that that particular ministry to which we um, spoke uh, has been transformed. Uh, that's the testimony is they've gone from one degree of glory to another. Um, but while in India, I was reminded of how uh, blessed we are in the U.S. that there's such freedom to preach the gospel. I had to go. I went in as, as a visitor. Uh, had to be undercover uh, because officially I wasn't allowed to preach or teach while there. Um, and in a country like India, regularly Christians are arrested. Christians are beaten. Some are even killed for their faith. Um, and I came away uh, reflecting on the reality of the suffering church. Um, how many persons have given their lives for Christ? You know, for the most part, again, we who are in the U.S. are ignorant of, oblivious to, the kind of suffering and sacrifices that are being made on a daily basis for this gospel. Uh, that we take so much for granted. People are literally laying down their physical lives daily. Uh, interestingly, um, according to church statistics, about 75 million Christians have been killed um, for their faith since the founding of the church. But the bloodiest century of all was the last 100 years. That, if, that 45 million Christians were killed in the last 100 years. And so many times when you think of persecution and you think of martyrdom, you think of the first century and you think of what happened in the book of Acts, when the truth is, by far more Christians are dying today for their faith than ever. Now, 45 million in 100 years, the last 100 years. 150,000 uh, Christians are estimated 
by Charisma. I saw this in an article. Will die every year just for believing in Jesus. Just for doing what we're doing tonight. Uh, or, or sharing Christ or witnessing to someone. Uh, 150,000 will die this year for Christ. And uh, we are, for the most part, again, very protected here in America. Uh, we have been ignorant of what's happening, unaware. So many of us don't even pray for the suffering church. You know, we spend our time praying for new cars, new houses, new clothes, and all that. You follow me? And we never lift up our brothers and sisters around the world who are literally laying down their lives for Christ. I'm, it's ringing up here. I'm getting the, all right? So, so, but times are changing. Times are changing because due to social media and, and satellite and all of that, the, the, the suffering of the global church more than ever before is, is, is facing us. It's, it's difficult to simply escape that. If you've been following the news at all, you know what's happening with ISIL. And you know how Christians are being slaughtered. Uh, not too long ago, you saw 27 Egyptian Christians who were marched to their death. It was on, on, on the news, social media. It's there. Um, 147 uh, Christian young people in the college in Kenya were slaughtered not too long ago because they're Christians. Um, so it's happening, and more and more we're, we're facing it. We're hearing about it. We're seeing it in Nigeria. Boko Haram, the ones who kidnapped those girls, well, they're killing Christians. Perhaps thousands of Christians now have died and are dying every day in Nigeria. Uh, not too long ago, we would be completely ignorant of that. But nowadays, if we want to, know that information is there. And I pray that we will make the effort to know. Okay, let's not just live in a bubble and, and, and act like everything is all right and, 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 and the only thing that's important is my new house, my new car, my new clothes, and all of that. There are other things more important than that. Say hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Now, the truth is, though, that persecution that once happened over there and we were protected from that, isolated from it, it's coming here. So one of the things I want to do tonight is help get you ready for it. Mm, because you, you're not going to be able to, to just continue to ignore that. It's coming here. Just, just not too long, it was it last week, this, this young man in, in Oregon who goes into the school and he, he wants to know whether you're a Christian. If you say you're a Christian, he kills you. So right here in America now, yeah, Christians are starting to die for their faith. And so the question I want to ask you tonight is, if someone put a gun to your head and told you that if, if you want to live, you have to deny Christ with a gun to your head or a knife to your throat, my question is, what would you do? To save your physical life, if you would simply deny Christ, you can live. Or you can identify yourself as a Christian and have your head blown up. My question for you tonight, restoration, is what would you do 
if you were in that situation? And I know you're trying to answer that in your head. And my question for you, are you sure? Are you sure? These are serious times. And these times call for courage. Say courage. I said these times call for courage. Amen. The courage to make the right decision, to stand for Christ, no matter the personal cost. No, 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 let me say that one more time. The times you're living in call for courage more than ever if you're going to be a faithful Christian in the United States of America. It's going to take more courage than you've needed before. Because these are times when of, of increasing hostility to Christianity from the very highest levels. The, 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 the rapid rate of decadence in this country and the increasing hostility towards Christianity is going to make it more and more difficult for you as a believer to live out your Christian faith and be faithful to Jesus you're going to have many opportunities to compromise your faith. My question is, what will you do when you have to make a choice between standing up for righteousness and standing up for Jesus and your life? I want us to read from Mark chapter 8, verse 34 to verse 38. Mark chapter 8, 34 to 38, and this is what Jesus said. When he had called, I'm reading from the New King James, when he had called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, whoever, say to your neighbor, that's you. You can put your name there. Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Well, what we hear today is be yourself. Jesus said if you want to be his disciples, you don't need to be yourself. You need to deny yourself. And by implication, let him be himself in you. But let him deny himself, take up, the, take up his cross. Yes, Say, take up, take up. His, cross. his cross. I wonder if you're willing to take up his cross, your cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will do what? Oh, talk to me. Whoever desires to save his life will? And whosoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. We'll just stop there for the sake of time. Now Jesus calls us to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and in the Luke, Luke inversion, take up our cross daily and follow him. Now the truth is, and it's, it's sad but it's true, that many who claim to be Christians are unwilling to suffer for Christ. 
unwilling to sacrifice comfort, suffer pain, certainly not lay down your physical life for him, unwilling to suffer for Christ, to, to inconvenience ourselves in any way for the sake of the gospel. We'll get involved in, in, in getting this gospel out if it's easy, if it's simple, if I don't have to make real sacrifices, if it doesn't inconvenience me, if it doesn't tire me, wear me out, if I don't have to miss my football game or something, then you can count on me. But if, I have to, if there's a game on, you know, don't... I'll give to support the work of the church or missions um, if I don't have to give up anything that I plan to do, you know, you know, my vacation, I can't, I can't go into that. I can't touch that money. It's for my, it's for, it's for, it's for this. And, you know, I got plans to buy that new TV and I got, you know, don't, don't, don't require me to make those kinds of sacrifices for the gospel. I, I know you may not be shouting amen, but, you know, you might, you might, I may be in a Presbyterian church tonight, but, but that's Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to take my time, amen, I, I, I'm the presiding bishop, according to pastor, so I'm going to act like the presiding bishop, I'm going to take my time, I'm 57 years old now, so I get to act like an elderly statesman and just take my time, <laughs> say hallelujah, but we want to talk about some serious kingdom matters tonight, because the truth is, this place should be full tonight. But there are a lot of folks who just didn't think it was important enough to sacrifice some time for the gospel's sake to be here tonight. And this is not just a rest, this is too typical of churches across this nation. Say to the neighbor, that needs to change. People are dying for this faith. People are being killed for this thing. Their necks are being cut off. And, and it's too much for us to, to come to a prayer meeting, come to a Bible study. It's just too much sacrifice. One hour Sunday morning, one and a half hours, that's it. Don't ask me for any more commitment. Mm-mm-mm. So there are just too many of us who are not willing to sacrifice comfort, not willing to suffer any pain and not willing to die to ourselves for the sake of the gospel. And perhaps it's because there's so many of us who claim to be Christians who really are not. And just because you come to church and just because you hold a Bible and just because you have your name on the roll doesn't mean you're a Christian. Jesus said in that day there'll be many who say, Lord, 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 didn't we do this, didn't we do that? And he said, I don't even know you. You and I never had a relationship. Maybe that's why there's such lukewarmness and unwillingness to sacrifice because many who are in our churches just, they're not even saved. Then maybe there are many of us who are saved, but we just don't have a revelation of who Jesus is. I, we just don't have a revelation of how much he loves us and, and his plans and purposes. And we're just, we just don't know him like we should. And perhaps that's a third reason. Maybe the third reason why we're so lukewarm and unwilling to sacrifice for Christ and deny ourselves and certainly not give our lives for him. Maybe it's because when it comes to giving our lives, we've become too attached to this world. We've, we've really lost sight of heaven. We've, we've lost sight of the value of eternal life. We've become so attached to this world 
We believe this, this is the best it gets. After this is all downhill. So I better hold on to what I have and get as much as I can out of this because this is the best it gets. Hmm? So we become so attached to this world, you know, we live well, we, we drive well, we dress well, we eat well. And we're just attached to this world and we really think, Pastor, that this is the best it gets. We've lost sight of heaven. Lost sight of eternal life. We've forgotten that we're pilgrims. And we're actually passing through. You know, we're acting like a lot of folks who come to the U.S. on a visitor's visa. They're not supposed to stay. <laughs> oh, my goodness. But they get here and they look around and say, it doesn't get any better than this. And they just stay here. But I want you to know it does get better than this. Say hallelujah. Eyes have not seen. Ears have not heard. It hasn't even entered the heart of man yet. The things that God has in store for us. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you. That where I am there, you may be also. If only in this world we have hope, we are most men most miserable. It does get better, folks. Paul said, I have a desire to depart because to depart is better. But I'm going to stay, but the only reason I'm going to stay is because I need to be here for your sake. There's, there's just work to do. I need to make some more sacrifices for you. But when it comes to me, what's better for me is really to be with Jesus. So Paul wasn't holding on to this world as though this is the best it, get, it, it will ever get. And I can't afford to let go of my house. I can't afford to let go of my car. I can't afford to let go of all of this. Listen to me. Where are you going? I said where we're going is so much greater, so much better that this is nothing. This is, this, compared to where you're going, this is a village in India. <laughs> Seriously, folks. Father, open my eyes and open their eyes and may we get a fresh glimpse, a fresh revelation of the reality of heaven and of the value of eternal life. Now, again, I said my purpose is to help you and help me face whatever is going to happen, what type of persecution, whatever it's going to take, so that we have the courage to deny ourselves and to do what needs to be done so that Christ gets glorified. Correct? And, and one of the ways that you can really help yourself and encourage yourself in this matter is to reflect on those who have paid the ultimate price. You know, I was thinking, you know, I probably need to just one day in, at, in Silver Spring just, you know, just get a number of these men and women who have sacrificed their very lives and just tell their stories. Amen. We thank God for those who are in the Bible, and we're going to look at Stephen's life, but one of the most famous uh, uh, martyrs of the church is Polycarp. Anyone here ever heard of Polycarp? Raise your hand if you have. Okay. Poly, Polycarp was a bishop of Smyrna. He was a contemporary of John the Apostle. And uh, during the, the, around 150, 55 AD, during the reign of, of uh, the Roman Emperor Marcus Aurelius, soldiers came to his house to arrest him and to burn him alive 
at the stake unless he would be willing to deny Christ and worship the emperor. Knocked at his door. He greeted him, welcomed them in, and they, they told him why he was there. And they looked at this man, and he was quite old. He was around, uh, well, he was in definitely his 80s at that time. And, 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 and they, their hearts went out to him. Didn't want to see this man die. And he was so nice to them. In fact, he offered them food and fed them. And they were trying to persuade him to deny Christ. All you got to do is just do this once, and, and, and that's it. And, and, and you don't have to die. You don't have to go to the, to the, to, uh, and be burned and all that. And, and, and he had only one request of them. He said, please, just give me one hour to pray. And, and we're told he, he fed them and, and, and he was praying. And while praying, he had a vision and he saw the pillow upon which his head was lying. He saw that start to burn. And he knew that his time had come for him to make the ultimate sacrifice as a witness for Christ, as a martyr for Christ. We're told that he prayed so fervently that the soldiers that had come to arrest him, some of them got saved. Amen. And, and of course, now they really didn't want him to, 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 to die. But he turned to them, and, and these are his words. He said, for 86 years, I've served him. He's never done me any wrong. Why should I now deny or blaspheme my Lord and my King? For 86 years, I have served him, and he's never done me any wrong. Why should I now blaspheme my Lord and my King? He said, you threaten me with, with fire that only burns temporarily and is quenched. But you're ignorant of the fire that will consume the wicked forever and ever. Has he ever done you any wrong? Yeah, yeah, I, don't, I don't think anybody here has served him yet for 86 years, but however long you served him, if you're honest, you can testify tonight. He has never done you any wrong. So I pray, I pray that if ever you have to stand up for him, if ever you're in a position where you have to choose between him and your physical life, I pray you'll have the courage that Polycarp had to choose him over your very life. And so Polycarp was arrested and taken to be burned and we're told they threw him into the fire and the fire could not consume him. And so they, but prior to him being put in the fire, he prayed one prayer, one last prayer. And he lifted his hand and he said, Father, I thank you that you have counted me worthy. Oh my goodness. Now, Lord, deliver me from this, from this fire. Lord, it's such an honor that you are allowing me to be numbered with the martyrs, to drink of the same cup that Jesus drank. Thank you for the honor and privilege of worshiping my Lord in this way. May God grant you and me the same courage and revelation that this man had to face death, that kind of death, without fear, unwilling to compromise, prepared to deny himself his very physical life for Christ. That was 150, in 150 AD, a long time ago, but 
if, if, if the most bloody century in terms of Christian martyrdom was the last hundred years, then you know you got, you got many, many, many of those type of stories of people today much closer to where we are who are also making that same decision. My prayer is that you and I will be able to make those decisions if we ever have to make them. So there's a story of a, of a sister, in, in, in a Catholic sister in Brazil who was there ministering among the people, serving the poor, and standing up for justice for the poor. And of course, she angered the powers that be. And one day while going to one of the farms to visit with poor peasants, she was intercepted by two armed men. And she knew what, why they were there. We're told she took her Bible and began to read the Word of God. And they listened for a while. And then they took their guns and shot her six times in her head, in her neck, in her body. And this sister in Brazil paid the ultimate price. And she's numbered among the martyrs, those who laid down their lives physically for Christ. Now, we're going to look at Stephen soon. He's in the Bible. He has the distinction of being the first one after Jesus' death on the cross. The first Christian to literally give his life for the Lord. We're going to look at his story shortly. But one of the things that you will see when we look at Stephen's story in the midst of all that commotion and the, and the, the, the noise and the hostility and the threats and the rocks... The Bible says when Stephen died, this is how the Holy Spirit recorded it. He fell asleep. My goodness. What a, what, what a, oh, what a, what a picture of grace. Oh my goodness. What a picture of what God can do in us. Oh my goodness. In the midst of the worst hostility and calamity, whatever form it takes, there is a peace. That passeth all understanding, hallelujah, that God is able to give to his people that can sustain them. There's a grace that God has available for every man and every woman who's willing to be a witness. Raise your hand and say, thank you, God, for grace. Hallelujah. Now, now, I'm talking and I've been talking about these folks who have given their lives for the Lord. But, but let's be honest, it's, it's, it's quite remote. Highly unlikely that in your lifetime, you will physically have to lay down your life for Christ. That's unlikely. It's becoming more probable, but still highly unlikely that you will actually physically have to make a choice between Christ and your physical life. Highly unlikely that anybody here would ever be in that position. But let me bring you where you really are and where I am. Because you see, a martyr is not just one who gives his physical life. A martyr is one who is willing to suffer and to sacrifice on a daily basis, even if he has to give his physical life, but he's willing to sacrifice and suffer on a daily basis. He was willing to sacrifice and suffer on a daily basis for the sake of Christ and the gospel. Now, while you may never have to Make a choice between your physical life and Christ. I guarantee you, as a Christian, if you are serious about your witness, on a regular basis, you will need to choose not between your physical life and Christ, 
but between your self-life and Christ. And my question for you tonight, you know, because if you can't do that, you certainly won't do the other one. But, oh my goodness, you, you see, we're, we're getting you ready for that day that may or may not happen, but, I, but if you cannot on a daily basis deny yourself, on a daily basis take up your cross, then don't tell me that you are going to be able on that day. So, so let's bring it home. Let's bring it where we live. Let's bring it to Aurora. Let's bring it to restoration. Let's bring it to where you are. Let's bring it to that chair you're sitting. Let's bring it to your address. My question for you is when you are confronted with the opportunity to deny your self-life for the sake of Christ, will you have the courage to do so? Mm, that's what Jesus is talking about when he says, take up your cross daily. Deny yourself daily. I am certain that you will have the opportunity not to be a dead martyr, but I am absolutely certain that you will have the opportunity regularly to be a living martyr. One who doesn't have to lay, lay down his physical life, but who has to be willing to lay down his self-life for Christ and the gospel. Ask the person next to you, are you willing to be a living martyr? He said, Bishop, what does that mean? It means that I'm willing to deny myself on a daily basis. I'm, I'm willing to take up my cross on a daily basis. I'm willing to choose between saving my self-life or losing it for Christ's sake that he might be revealed and that he might be glorified. Listen to me. We're going to have to be able and willing to deny ourselves on a daily basis, take up our cross on a daily basis, if we're going to be faithful witnesses for Christ, and the word martyr simply means witness. Amen. It's that literally, it's a, it's a transliteration of the Greek word. It simply means witness. But witnessing at the very core requires that we are willing to deny ourselves, whether it's the physical life or the self-life. We're willing to subordinate. I am willing to subordinate my natural desire to please myself for a higher desire to please Christ on a daily basis, on a regular basis, you're going to have to make a decision. Will I subordinate in this moment my natural desire to have my way so that he can have his way? Oh my goodness. Am I willing to subordinate my natural desire to have my way with my time so he can have his way? With it, am I willing to subordinate my natural desire to have my way with my money? Yeah, I'm talking about money. Because where your treasure is, your heart's going to be there. So am I willing on a regular basis to subordinate my natural desire to have my way after I work for is my money? Am I willing on a regular basis? Every Sunday, am I willing to bring my tithes and my offerings and subordinate my natural desire to have my way to his desire so that he can have his way. Am I willing to say no to me, deny self, so I can say yes to him? Am I willing to say no to the values of this world on a regular basis in order to say yes to the values of the kingdom? 
yes to faith. Yes to love. Yes to hope. Yes to service. Yes to sacrifice. Yes to humility. Yes, yes, yes to righteousness. The values of the kingdom are directly opposed to the values of this world. And we ought not to confuse them. A living martyr is one who has the courage to deny himself, his self-life, for the sake of Christ. Now we all agree it takes courage, a lot of courage, to not deny Christ when a gun is at your head or knife at your throat. But let's be honest, it also takes a lot of courage in your everyday life <laughs> to deny yourself when your friendship is on the line. Yeah, you didn't hear me. There's some relationships you have that are so valuable to you. It takes courage to deny yourself when those relationships are on the line. It takes courage to, to deny yourself when your career is on the line. When one of, the, one of the casualties of your saying yes to Christ might be your promotion. It takes courage. When you might be bypassed for that promotion because they know you're a Christian and you don't agree with their agenda. You're not going to go along with their, with their game because it contradicts who you are and who you know Jesus is. It takes courage to say, I, you know, I may lose my job. I may not get the promotion. I may not. But you know what? I'm going to stand up for Christ. Amen. I'm going to stand up for righteousness. I'm going to stand up for truth. And I don't know what it's going to cost me, but I'm willing by the grace that he supplies me to pay whatever personal cost. But I'm not going to deny Christ. I'm going to stand up for righteousness. I'm going to stand up for truth. It takes courage. When, 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 when your, your dreams are on the line, all these wonderful plans you have, for your life. It takes courage. And so here's where I want to go with this. Because my, my, my job tonight is not to fill you with guilt or make you feel bad. That's not why I'm here. I'm, I'm, I'm here to challenge you but then show you what God has provided for you and me. Because what I want us to agree with at this point is that it takes courage to live for Christ. Amen. Whether you're denying your physical life or you're denying your, your self-life, it takes courage to do what's right. Now, we got to do right, but it takes courage. And so my question is, where did, did, did Polycarp get that kind of courage from? I mean, how, how can you face such a horrendous death and be calm and collected and cool because if we can find, if we can figure that out we can take that and apply it to what we're dealing with so much less so if, if we can get what they got understand how they got there to deal with that then it should make it much easier for us on a daily basis right when we got to deny ourselves so where where did this come from I mean we're going to look at Stephen shortly but man when you when you when you when you look at the story of Stephen in fact let's just go there you know, you're Stephen in Acts chapter 7. 
and he's preaching Christ. And he stands before these people who are angry already, and he says to them, you are stiff-necked. You are just like your fathers. Now, mind you, these are the people who crucified Jesus. So he, 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 he's, he, he, he knows what they're capable of. But he says, you know what? You're just like your, your fathers. They killed the prophets. Moses, who you re revere, told you that there will be a prophet that will come after him who will be just like him, and you need to hear him. Moses spoke of Jesus. The prophets told you he would come. And now when Jesus shows up, you killed him. And the Bible says they started to get real angry, real mad. And, and, but the thing that broke the, the, the camel's back, the straw that broke the camel's back, was when he stood up and said, that this Jesus who you kill, I see him. <laughs> and, and he's standing at the right hand of God. Now, that at this point, the Bible says they begin to gnash their teeth. They, they, they shut their ears because they didn't want to hear. One of the things that makes the devil angry is when you start to talk about Jesus. Amen. Oh, yeah. They were angry, but the thing that, that, that got the devil <laughs> was when he began to point to the fact that this Jesus who you killed is now standing at the right hand of God in a place of glory. They call that blasphemy. The Bible says that when they got a hold of Stephen, they grabbed him, they took him out of the city, they threw him in the valley, and they took up rocks, and with gnashing teeth, they began to stone him. And we find that Stephen faces all of these people, and the scripture simply says of him, he fell asleep. So here is a peace, here's a calmness, here's a courage that this man has while facing such hostility, such danger, such threats, such horrendous circumstances. Here's this amazing ability to be calm and courageous. Where did he get that from? Acts chapter 7, verse 55. If you were to read that, you would hear these words. Listen to what Stephen did in verse 55. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Here is Stephen's secret. Here is where he got his courage from. In the midst of all of that, the commotion, the noise, the threats, the hostility, the danger, Stephen was seeing Jesus. No, no, you thought I would tell you something profound, but I am telling you something very profound. I'm saying the source of courage, the source of peace, Oh, yeah, the thing that will enable you to be faithful. Oh, yeah, the thing that will enable you to, to make the right choices. The thing that will empower you and give you the courage to deny yourself. This is the secret. Seeing Jesus. Oh, my goodness. I said seeing Jesus. I said seeing Jesus. The Bible says he will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is stayed on Jesus. Oh, Shandabos. I'm telling you. 
There's something about seeing Jesus in the midst of trouble that fills your heart with peace. There's something about seeing Jesus in the midst of trouble that gives you the courage to do right. There's something about seeing Jesus in the midst of trouble that overcomes your fears and makes you bold like a lion and causes you to do things that you ordinarily couldn't do. Causes you to make decisions you wouldn't ordinarily make. There's something about seeing Jesus that transcends the limitations of your flesh and enables the Holy Spirit to do some things on the inside of you that will amaze even you. Here was Stephen in the midst of all of this seeing Jesus. You want courage? You want strength? You want to be a faithful witness on a daily basis? See Jesus. See Jesus. You know, you, you, I said, see Jesus. Because there's something about seeing him that changes you. Oh, yeah, yeah. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, we behold him as in a glass. And as we behold him, we are being transformed from glory to glory. When you see Jesus, when you see Jesus, there is a transformation that the Holy Spirit does on the inside of you that conforms you to his very image. When you see Jesus, the Holy Spirit makes you like the one you see. I'm not talking about imitating him. I'm talking about being made like him because you're seeing him. Stephen sees Jesus and he doesn't see Jesus afraid. He sees Jesus standing. He doesn't see Jesus defeated. He sees Jesus victorious. He doesn't see Jesus anxious. He sees Jesus full of peace. He sees Jesus in a place of victory. He sees Jesus in a place of power. He sees Jesus in a place of glory. He sees Jesus standing up for him. He sees Jesus interceding for him. He sees Jesus and as he sees Jesus, he becomes like the one he is seeing. Because as he sees him, the Holy Spirit is doing a work on the inside of him. Oh my goodness. And Stephen becomes like the one he is seeing. I wish I was preaching better, but I'm trying to make a point. I'm trying to make a point. I'm trying to make a point. I'm trying to say to you, the key, the secret to you being courageous and strong and faithful is making it your business every day to see Jesus. I'm, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm, I'm telling you, if you will make it your business to see Jesus, you will become like the one you see. You will start to talk like the one you see. You will begin to feel like the one you see. You will start to behave like the one you see. There's something about seeing him that empowers the Holy Spirit to make you like him. So, 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 so Peter, Peter, Peter says, Jesus, if that's you, bid me come. And Peter sees Jesus walking on the water. And as he sees Jesus, he steps out of the boat. And supernaturally, he starts behaving, acting like the one he is seeing. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You see, when you see Jesus strong, when you see Jesus powerful, when you see Jesus victorious, when you see Jesus in glory, God transforms you and supernaturally, he makes you like himself. He begins to live in you 
and he begins to express his very image in you. You want, you want me to show you that in the text? Let me show you. So, so Stephen, Stephen is looking at Jesus. And, 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 and these people are stoning Stephen, right? They're, 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 they're screaming, they're yelling, they're insulting him, all kinds of stuff. There's a lot of noise, a lot of commotion, a lot of hostility. There's a lot of uh, 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 just everything is helter-skelter around him. Nothing is peaceful in his circumstances. Everything is upside down. But he sees Jesus. And the Bible says, he says, Father, receive my spirit. That sounds just like Jesus. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, you remember, remember on Calvary, everything is helter-skelter, all of this commotion. And what does Jesus do? Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. But it doesn't stop there. They're angry. They have the stones. They're throwing rocks at him. He falls on his knees and he said, Father, do not charge this to their account. That sounds just like Jesus. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Stephen is not imitating Jesus. Jesus is literally manifesting himself through Stephen by the Spirit as Stephen sees Jesus. The reason for our failures, our shortcomings, is because we don't see him. No, 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 no. Let me, let me, let me, let me, let me ask you another question. Pastor Felix, Stephen makes it so easy. Come on. I want you to put yourself in the situation, the circumstances. Hear the noise. These are angry people. They got rocks. I mean, there's, they're, there's, they're yelling. They're screaming. They kill him. They, they got the rocks in their hands. They've started to throw it. And Stephen is seeing Jesus. In the midst of all of that commotion and noise and hostility, all of that trouble, how can you so easily look away from all of that and see Jesus? Most of us will be too scared, too focused on what's happening. The noise, the, the, the commotion, the anger, the hostility, all of that would overcome us. And we would find it difficult in those circumstances to see Jesus in the midst of that commotion standing up in charge. So I asked myself, why was it so easy for him to do this here? And I believe the Holy Spirit said because he had a lot of practice. <laughs> practice makes perfect. This wasn't the first time this man was doing it. 
He had a lot of practice. Remember David? David goes to, 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 to King Saul and David said, let me, let me, let me go against Goliath. And King Saul looks at him and says, you're young, you're youth, he's an experienced warrior. David said, you know what, I was taking care of the sheep. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And while taking care of the sheep, when the lion came I, and took one of my sheep, I chased that lion, got a hold of him, and I took my sheep from him. And when he turned on me, I grabbed his beard and I killed him. And then there was a bear that came and, and took my sheep, and I chased that bear, and I killed him too. And King Saul, you know what? This Goliath, it's going to be the same for him, with him, as it was with the lion and with the bear. Now, the, the, all the other folks in Israel were scared of Goliath, but David made it so easy. Why? Practice. David was saying, I'm used to doing this. Don't worry, don't, don't, don't worry about me, King. King Saul, I'm used to doing this. I'm used to dealing with, with, with bears and, and with, with lions. I'm, I'm used to dealing with evil. I'm, I'm, I'm used to facing great challenges. I've done this, and it's, it's, it's a way of life now. I'm used to this. So it's easy for me to go against Goliath. Stephen could easily look at Jesus in the midst of the commotion and the trouble because for him it was a way of life. This posture of looking away from commotion from trouble from all of that and focusing upon Jesus was a way of life. He had practiced this. He was used to it. This was his posture. This is how he lived. Turning away from the commotions of this life in order to gaze upon Jesus so that he might be transformed into that same image from glory to glory was his practice. I've come to say to you at restoration, that needs to be your practice. Don't wait for a crisis. Don't wait for them to have the stones and ready for the first time you try to do it. No, practice now. So that if, when Goliath shows up, you've got practice. Start practicing now in the presence of God. Start practicing now getting into God's presence. And no matter what's happening in your life right now, start practicing just taking your mind off of all of that stuff. And say, Lord, I just want to see Jesus. Holy, you know, the Bible says full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed. In other words, this is what the Holy Spirit does to make you bold and courageous. He turns your attention unto Jesus. So, so, so that's why he comes, to so take up Jesus and reveal him. So just make it your practice. Holy Spirit, I want to see Jesus in the word. And so you spend some time in the word. I want to see Jesus on prayer. So you, that's why you got to steal away. That's why you got to learn how to get alone. That's why you got to learn how to separate yourself from all that stuff so you can see Jesus. Are you hearing me? Because when you make that your practice, then if ever you have to deal with something real serious because you've practiced this so often, you'll make it look easy. And they'll wonder, how come she's walking in such peace when all of this is happening? Why is there such joy on the inside of her? Why isn't he terrified? Why isn't he depressed? Why? No, no, because in the midst of all of this, He's learned 
how to look at Jesus. And as he looks at Jesus, who is peace, he's becoming filled with his peace. As he looks at Jesus, who is victorious, he's walking in the victory. He's being transformed into the very image of Jesus because that's his focus. So you see, that's why prayer is important. You see, you need to understand, we don't pray to change God. God doesn't need changing. <laughs> no, no, we pray to change us. We don't, we don't pray to change his will. We pray to share his will. You, 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 you understand? So the reason why you should give priority to prayer. Spending time, because that's where you practice. That's where you you, you, you practice. That's where you, you develop that skill. That's where, oh my goodness, you become, this become a way of life for you. Oh my goodness. I'm, and it's good to start when you don't have nothing too major happening. You know, develop that habit. Develop that habit. And if you practice it and you practice and you practice it, the day you have to face a Goliath or the day you have to face an angry Jewish mob with stones ready to kill you, it's just going to be easy for you to just see him. In the midst of all of the noise, what the doctors are saying and what the bankers are saying and, and what the economy is saying and what the politicians are saying and what your family is saying and what the circumstances are saying. In the midst of all that noise and calamity and threats that are coming from every side, there's an amazing ability that you've developed over time. A skill you have perfected of turning and seeing Jesus. And the Bible says... He was filled with perfect peace. The one whose mind. He literally conforms you. You cannot see Jesus and remain fearful. You can't. You really cannot. If you are troubled by fear, I guarantee you, if you see him in the midst of the circumstance that's causing you fear, not, and you see him not afraid, you see him standing, like Stephen saw him, strong, victorious, in charge, in control, the master of the wind and the waves. If you see him, oh, may the Holy Spirit give you a revelation of Jesus standing in the midst of whatever trouble or commotion that is happening in your life today. May the Holy Spirit give you a revelation of Jesus standing more than a conqueror. Standing at the right hand of God. Standing in a place of glory. Standing interceding for you. Because when he stood up, he was standing up for Stephen. He was, oh my goodness, I said he was standing up for Stephen. And I read somewhere where the Bible said, if God be for you. I said, if God be for you. If God be for you. Who? Can be against you. That's why Pastor Paul's prayer all the time was give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus. That's our problem, folks. To the degree that we're afraid, to that degree we are not, we're not seeing Jesus. The revelation of Jesus answers all questions, solves all problems. Again, that's why being in that place of prayer and giving priority to prayer, not to change God. God doesn't need changing. So by the revelation of Christ, you can be changed. And your fears can give way to peace. Your doubts can give way to faith. Discouragement can give way to hope. Weakness can give way to strength. And possibility gives way to possibility. Are you here? 
got, I got a little bit more time? Are we gonna, are we gonna sacrifice some time tonight? <laughs> okay, I'll be done soon. But, but I, I made my major point, but there are one or two other things I wanna do. Because again, my, my goal is to help you and help myself. Okay, I just told you one of the keys, perhaps this is perhaps the only one really, if you really perfect this, is to perfect the art of seeing Jesus. That's why you read the word, folks, to see Jesus. That's why you pray to see Jesus. In every circumstance, your first prayer, Lord, let me, Father, show me Jesus in the midst of this. Let me see him standing, victorious, with me in this situation. Let me see him, because once you see him, you're going to get filled with peace. And whatever you see, to the extent that Jesus is revealed to you, you become like him. That's how, that's how the Holy Spirit changes us. So really, you don't need a 10-step plan to overcome a habit. You need to see Jesus victorious over that habit. If you, if you can see him, now if you can't see him, then you got to do all the other things. But if you see him victorious over that, you really get a revelation of that? You shall know the truth. The truth sets you free. Jesus is the truth. But let me, let me do two more things. There's another passage of scripture that's important for those of us who, who, who want to be faithful. Because again, I'm looking at what these folks did in order to access the grace of God. It's the grace of God that is at work. But we, we obviously see that in Stephen's case, the grace of God was released in him because he had made it a practice of seeing Jesus. All right? Now, now in Acts chapter 4, there's another episode of the church being persecuted. Peter and, J and John had healed the, the man at the gate, and they had been arrested and brought before the Sanhedrin, all right? And, and you know the story. They were told, don't ever preach in his name again. Don't mention his name. In fact, by whose authority did you heal this man? Peter said, if you want to know by whose authority, I want you to know it's by the authority of Jesus, the one who you killed. Faith in him. Man, these guys are bold. They just killed Jesus. And you're so bold looking right in the faces of the people who just killed Jesus. And you're not mincing your words one bit. Jesus, who you killed, faith in him. That's why this man is, is, is. and those, those that he, the Bible says they couldn't do anything with them because the people, you know, they were afraid of the people. So they said, you know what, let's just threaten them. So call them in and threaten them and say, listen, you don't ever, 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 we don't want to hear you ever, ever mentioning the name of Jesus again. And Peter looks at him and says, well, you judge whether we should obey God or obey man. We cannot help but speak the things that we have seen, we've heard, and we, Jesus told us to go and preach, heal the sick, cast out devils, and we intend to do that. And, but what I like, this is the point. They left the Sanhedrin, and the scripture says they went straight to their own company. You need your own company. Oh, Listen to me. In these times, there's something about being connected, being part of, joined to, fully involved with people who you can call your own. Don't play with this for being part of this church. This is one of the things God has put in place for your benefit. God, God puts you next to each other so that in times of tests and trials and difficulties, you can receive mutual encouragement one from another. And so when they left the Sanhedrin, they said, you know what, let's go find our own company. We need to be encouraged. 
<laughs> yeah, we need some people who will say, you know what? Go ahead and preach. Go ahead and teach. We're praying for you. We're going to stand with you. It's worth it. It's worth it. So they went and found their own company. And the Bible says they told them everything that the Sanhedrin and the folks had said to them. But I love what the scripture says. Right after reporting what had happened, the scripture says they lifted up their arms and they began to pray. Oh my, there's another reason why these people were so courageous. They were a people of prayer. Hmm? They prayed alone, but they also prayed together. I can't, I can't spend too much. I'll, I'll let Pastor Felix deal with that. But they prayed alone. They prayed together. They knew how to pray. They knew who to pray with. And they knew what to ask for. Oh, yeah. We don't have time, but Pastor Felix, he'll develop this for you. But what I want you to see after they praised God, declared who God was, proclaimed his greatness, quoted the scripture, declared what God has said. All of that is in the prayer. And then they ended by saying, now God, grant us boldness. Listen to me. I know we're busy praying for our cars, praying for our wives, praying for our families, praying for, listen, that's okay. But don't forget to pray for boldness and for courage. Oh, you, you got to hear him. Pray for boldness and courage for yourself. Pray for boldness and courage for the members of your family. Pray for boldness and courage for your pastors. Pray for boldness and courage for your church. Hear me. Pray for boldness. Pray for courage to stand up for Jesus no matter the cost. Ask God to make you bold. Ask God to make you courageous. Ask God to empower you by his spirit to stand for righteousness. Pray for courage. And then lastly, lastly, because I don't want to keep you here all day. There's one more thing. I begin by saying one of the reasons, one of the reasons people won't or find it difficult to deny themselves or sacrifice and, and certainly not die for Jesus is because we've lost sight of heaven. We've lost sight of eternal life. Uh, we think that this is the best that it gets. I want to end by reminding you of what Jesus said. In John chapter 11, Jesus said while standing at the grave of Lazarus, he said, I am the resurrection. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me will never die. And even if he dies, he shall live again. Church, don't know whether you'll ever have to make that decision. But I want you to remember, do not allow yourself to forget that you have everlasting life. The life on the inside of you is immortal. And you are an immortal spirit and you will never die. They may think they've killed you. They thought they had killed Stephen. But the scripture says he fell asleep. Oh, my goodness. I fell asleep last night. I woke up. In fact, I fell asleep before coming here a few minutes, and I woke up. Thank God falling asleep is not the end of life. In fact, while we're sleeping, we're still living. We're having all of these dreams, huh? 
Yashanda, uh, amen. But he fell asleep. Never forget. Don't fear death and don't fear their threats. Because this is what Jesus has given you. Immortal life. Life without end. Though your outward man perish, your inward man is continually being renewed. These are not just empty words. This is reality. You can never die. You have life without end. One of these days, if Jesus tarries, you'll move away. But you will never die. I have a video that I want you to see to illustrate this. Because I want you to see what you have. And how impossible it is for you to die. Thanks for listening to this week's message. We hope that you can find a way to impact the community around you through this church or a local church around you. We also encourage you to find a church to get connected to, whether that's here at RCF or somewhere close to you. If you want to find out more about RCF, visit rcfministries.org or watch us live on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. on the RCF Network. Thanks for listening.